Hey guys, welcome to episode three. As of today, my first podcast has went up and I am so excited. I hope you guys enjoy it. I know it's going to take a little bit to grow a family here and to discuss these things, but if you're coming back to these episodes and watching, I really do appreciate it or listening. Sorry, I always forget because I'm used to being on YouTube. Um, but yeah, if you're listening or watching, I super appreciate it because... Um, I've had so much fun. I know that sounds so like grim and odd to say, but I've really had a lot of fun um, binge watching tons of different true crime shows and also um, taking notes on these and figuring out like which cases I want to do. I did mention before that I wanted to stick with cases for this season that really stuck out to me because of a certain thing or... I don't really know how to explain that um, besides just telling you guys each episode. So for this case, as you guys can see from the title, I'm going to be talking about John Benet Ramsey, which is such a sour point with me, and I know it is with everyone. Um, this case obviously sticks out to me. It's very, very common. I almost felt like I didn't want to do a episode on this case because I feel like it's so redundant and so repetitive, like everybody has done. Um, a podcast or even a true crime video on JonBenet Ramsey and I honestly think the reason she is still brought up to this day is to just still make awareness that it was never solved and that I just really hope somebody who works in cold cases will someday pick up this case and be able to do something, be able to work a miracle and figure out something that could solve this case. Um, if you don't know about John Benet Ramsey, it, maybe you were born after the 90s, or maybe you recently have gotten into true crime because it is definitely a huge thing. I do feel like growing up, I had heard the name and um, honestly didn't know too much about her until I got older and seen some things about her like on the internet and then also when I finally got into true crime which has been a few years ago when I really really like was invested I grew up watching crime shows but when I really got invested in real life cases this case was one that just struck a point with me and I was just like oh my gosh and I literally have watched every documentary on it I have seen so many people's um, YouTube videos, I've listened to podcasts on it, and I've gotten so many different opinions that sometimes I agree with, sometimes I don't, but I love hearing everybody's opinions, whether I agree or not. I just like being able to throw the different theories around, especially on cold cases. Just like all my episodes, I'm going to be doing the story time style, so I am going to tell the story of this. And then for this episode, since this is not a solved case, spoiler, um, for anybody who doesn't know about John Bonet, um, then I'm just going to talk about a couple different theories. There is a million theories, but I do want to talk about just a couple and kind of um, debunk some of it and then just wrap it up, do my final thoughts. I really wish that there was like a closing thing on this case because that little girl deserved justice. So this took place in Boulder, Colorado, and it was December 26, 1996. I am going to back up one night. So it was Christmas 1996. So I want to 
throw it in here because I mentioned it before that growing up I didn't know too much about it besides seeing pictures of her because when this happened I was literally an infant. I'm a 90s baby but around this time I was a toddler. Christmas 1996 was like any other Christmas for them. They woke up and did their presents and everything else. Um, now I do want to talk about her parents John and Patsy Ramsey. Again, this is going to be a little redundant for people who do know about this, but I still want to mention it for this podcast. Um, so John Ramsey was married to his second wife, Patsy. So he has been married before. He had three children with his previous marriage, one of which died in a car accident. So he had two children from the previous marriage that were still alive. He worked in a computer industry company. I don't really know the whole ordeal on that. I do know that the family was very wealthy and that year was a very good year in his career because he had gotten a raise. He was getting a big Christmas bonus. Patsy Ramsey was a pageant girl. She was Miss West Virginia and she was 14 years younger than John. She was definitely into pageants and although she spent some of her life working for John. She, at this time, I don't believe was doing anything besides um, focusing more like on her children and she had John Bonet and pageants. So December 25th, 1996, on Christmas, they hosted like this, I don't know, to me this is strange. Like I just feel like it's odd, but I guess they had a really nice house, obviously. They're very wealthy and I mean, you can see in pictures that their house was very nice and they would decorate it all up for Christmas time. They had someone dress up as a Santa and come over and then they would literally invite everyone from their area to come to their house. Now, I'm literally meaning not just friends and family that they know, but tons of people that just lived in the area. They invited them over so that they could do a tour of the house. So they had tours throughout the day of people coming in their house. So there was so many people that came in the house that day. And then after the tours were over, they went down the street to a friend's house and had Christmas dinner with them. And they were there for quite a while. I'm sure it was like a huge feast, drinks afterwards, that type of ordeal. And then they came back home from what they say around bedtime for the kids. And when they got home, from what I have read, and I'm kind of mad at myself because I didn't take a lot of notes on this case because I feel like I know this case so well now that I just, typing it just kind of seemed ridiculous because I know so much about this case. But I'm really hoping I don't forget anything. I do want to throw in here that if I do, I do have my blog that I post every single day. One of these episodes go up, a blog post goes up, and my blog is in the description of this episode. So I will have a John Bonet Ramsey blog post on my regular blog talking about everything. If there is something that I remember that I skipped over when editing this, I will throw it in my blog post. If you catch anything that I missed or something that I maybe don't even know about, please let me know over on my Instagram at Caffeine Crime Podcast. Back into this. So I'm going to try to remember everything. Um, so from what I can remember from the case was that 
John Bonet was already asleep, and I do want to mention that John Bonet was six years old. So she was asleep in her dad's arms, and from what I have read, I'm pretty sure that it was John Ramsey who walked her upstairs to her bedroom, put her in PJs, and tucked her in bed. And then I'm assuming he went to bed. Patsy, on the other hand, made Burke, which was their son. He was nine at the time. She made him a bowl of sliced up pineapple and milk. I guess they eat that like cereal. I have never tried that. I never heard of it until this case, but that's always stuck with me too because I was like, hmm, pineapple and milk. <laughs> so he ate his pineapple and milk and then he went to bed. And I don't really think the Ramses really were like, I went to bed at so-and-so time or anything like that. It was just kind of a, he put her to bed, I fixed his bowl, we went to bed type of ordeal. So the next morning, December 26, 1996, Patsy woke up at her alarm at 5.30 like any other day. This was a very usual thing. She went downstairs and the stairs she went down was a spiral staircase. And on one of the steps, there was a few sheets just spread out across the step. And by sheets, there were three. After just kind of flipping through it, like what is this? She had seen like a few lines down that it had said, we, had your, we have your daughter. And she freaked out, ran up the stairs to her daughter's bedroom, threw open the door, and her daughter wasn't there. John had actually heard Patsy yelling and had ran to John Bonet's bedroom, and she handed him the sheets of paper to where he started scanning through it. And then they ran around the house, apparently, and didn't see her. And then they ran up the stairs, and Patsy in their bedroom upstairs. I don't really know why she didn't just stay downstairs and make the phone call if they were searching for her, but she did go upstairs to her bedroom. And at 5.52, her call to 911 was placed. It's very frantic. It's, we need police. We had a kidnapping and we have a note and our daughter is gone. And she's saying, oh my God, and she's yelling. I mean, I'm a mom. I know that I would be freaking out. She's saying, hurry, 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 and I really want to express this call with you guys, so I'm actually going to insert a clip of it. 911 emergency. Oh, we need Police. What's going on? 5, 5, what's going on there, ma'am? We have a kidnapping. Hurry, please. Explain to me what's going on, okay? There, we have a There's a note left, and our daughter's gone. A note was left, and your daughter is yeah. gone? How old is your daughter? Six years old. She's gone. How long ago was it? I don't know. I just found the notes. Oh my God, it's Does it say who took her? What? Does it say who took her? No. I don't know. It's, there's, a, there's a ransom note here. It's a ransom note? It says FBTC. Victory. Please. Okay, what's your name? Are you happy? I'm the lover. Oh my God. Okay, I'm sending an officer over, okay? Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. Please, we just got out. Is she right here? Oh my God, please. Okay, please, well, somebody. I am, honey. Please. Take a deep breath. Please, please. Okay. hurry, hurry, hurry. Patsy, 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 Patsy. So as you guys
guys can tell, she is very frantic, very, like, any mom would be, honestly. And just a few minutes later, police show up. They search through the house, so they say, I think they just did, like, a basic search around, like, maybe her bedroom, um, around, like, the living room and kitchen and stuff like that. By this time, before the police had even arrived, John had already called their friends down the street and told them what happened, so their friends came up to their house, too. So not only was there John and Patsy, but there was also their friends in the house as well. Meanwhile, I do want to state that Patsy said during this whole time that Burke was still in bed asleep. He never woke up through any of this, never woke up to Patsy yelling apparently in John Bonet's bedroom, even though it apparently woke up John. The police, of course, do their questioning. They ask, you know, where were, what did you guys do yesterday? What did you guys do today? Um, step by, or you know, explain step by step what had happened that morning. And then there's also the ransom note that they wanted to read over. This probably did take them some time to read and even process and for that many people to really process it. Now, this ransom note, like I said, was three pages, uh, three sheets of paper. It was actually two and a half pages. So I'm actually going to take a screenshot of the ransom letter. It will be posted in my blog for you guys if you guys have not read it. I was going to read it, but I feel like it's very redundant again, so um, I'm just going to briefly talk about it. So it is addressed to Mr. Ramsey, and it talks about how they respect his business, but not the country that it serves. They say, we have your daughter in our possession, and if you want her to see 1997, you will listen to these instructions. They say you... You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. They make it a point to say that they want $100,000 to be in $100 bills and that the remaining $18,000 will be in $20 bills. And that he better bring a good size bag to the bank pretty much to hold this money. The next instructions are to go home, place this money in a brown paper bag and wait for a call pretty much. They said this call would be the next day around 8 to 10 a.m. It says that the delivery is going to be very exhausting, that he better rest up. They do say that if you do anything that we told you not to do, it will be an immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. And it says, two gentlemen are watching over your daughter. They are not fond of you, so I would do as you're told. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's downright just awful. It says, speaking to anyone about the situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with she dies you will be scanned for electronic devices and if any are found she dies they said they're familiar with law enforcement and what they will try to do they say don't try to outsmart us pretty much and says you stand and this part i do want to read the end of it it says you stand in 99 percent chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a hundred percent chance of getting her back. Pretty much wraps it up by saying 
you and authorities are being watched and don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use the good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. And then it is signed Victory SBTC. Crazy ransom note. Uh, it's even longer than that. Like I said, I'll have the screenshot in my blog, but it's just a little crazy how long to me anyways, that the ransom note is. But because of that, it obviously took police a while to kind of look over that and get an understanding of what's going on. They weren't used to this type of ordeal. And to top it off, the note had said that all of this would be taking place the next day. So maybe they had it in their head, you know, just to kind of keep asking questions, kind of go from there, figure out what their next step should be for the following day, I'm assuming. Later that evening, the officer who later actually resigned and I don't even think works for any law enforcement anymore after how bad she was treated for this next choice she made in this case. She finally decided that it was time to do a very detailed search of the entire house. And while that sounds like a really smart idea, like let's stick everybody in one room that we've been standing in this whole time, or let's put everybody outside or down the road at a friend's house and the police do a you know, detailed search, sounds like a good idea. But what she did was completely different. She split them into groups and had them start searching the house. Like just everybody that's in the house, the family, the friends, just everybody, the cops, all looking in this house. And John Ramsey and his friend from down the road went downstairs. John said he had the thought, let's work from the bottom up. And that's how they ended down um, in the wine cellar. It's actually a room by their wine cellar. John walked over to the wine cellar door. He pushed it open and there on the floor lied a sheet, a blanket or a sheet. It was white and it covered her completely, but he ran to it and had said something to let his friend know, like, she's in here. Um, his friend does say that she was completely covered up, but John ran to her and looked at her and said that he could tell she was just lifeless. He scooped her up in his arms and ran up the stairs with her and placed her in the main room where they were all at in the floor and the law enforcement there had confirmed that she was dead. So that honestly is pretty much the whole gist of the story of what happened. It's crazy because it's like just a normal Christmas day and then the next day everything just is completely just shattered, just gone. And it's just so messed up in so many ways, but it's so hard because at this point, the Ramses were definitely being put underneath the spotlight of suspicion. Um, there was the questions, how did John find her so fast? Why was there a ransom note when the daughter was in the house dead already? Why would the ransom note still be left there? So I'm going to try to go back to the beginning and kind of dissect it for you guys, debunk some things, but this is going to be 
um, a little repetitive, but I am going to be going off of theories now. So the first theory is that an intruder did this. So the next two times that I tell the story, this is all theories. This is not my personal opinion. I may state my personal opinion here and there. Um, I'm in no way like trying to come after anybody on what I feel about this. Just want to throw that out there. So let's say an intruder did this and we're going to type we're gonna talk hypothetically like so. Um, so Patsy woke up, went downstairs, seen the sheets of paper, and found out that her daughter was missing. So a lot of people who think about this theory as being what's right is they're thinking, what about all the people that walked through this home the day before? so many people were in and, out of, in and out of his house. And I mean, it was like a tour of their house. So people could have easily found hiding places. They could have find, they could have found easy access points. And I mean, that, I mean, it honestly does make a lot of sense. Um, another speculation was that when they went to dinner, um, that was when the intruder had come and gotten into the house and prepared the ransom note and everything because mind you this ransom note was two and a half pages long it was written on a tab a little tablet of paper and pen found in patsy's room or like her office um so it was written in the house and apparently they have found figured out that the person had messed up a couple of times while writing this and rewrote it to get it right so on average they said that writing this note took at least 15 minutes to write so thinking about three different times that is a lot of time spent just on a ransom note so there's this ransom note that while they're at dinner, maybe they were writing that. Maybe they were finding out where to hide. They had this all planned out on how they were going to get John Bonet that night and then get money out of it. I mean, that would make sense. The, you know, the Ramses came home. They took their daughter in bed. They put, um, they gave Burke a snack and then Burke went to bed. They went to bed and then their daughter could have been taken then. There was a window downstairs in the room right next to the wine cellar that had a window that kind of like, you opened it up and then you kind of like stood in like a drain type ordeal. It's really hard to explain. There is documentaries that show it, but it's like a basement window. So it's kind of like on ground level, there's like a little draining spot where you can look down and there's a window, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I know I'm doing hand motions, but people listening to the podcast, you have no idea what I'm doing right now. But that was tampered with, but from what the police had said, that it was tampered with from the inside, which was a little strange. But if there was tours going on, couldn't somebody had tampered with it while they were there during the tour also? So, you know, Patsy called 911, and I do find it a little strange that she woke up at 5.30, yet she called 911 at 5.52. I feel like that's a lot of time in between there that I would be wanting to get somebody there as soon as possible. I don't know if they had it in their head like, oh my God, you know, somebody has her daughter, you know, let's debate this. Should we call 911? Should we not? What should we do? I know that that probably would be something that would be going through their head. You know, what if they are really watching us? And if we call them and tons of cops show up at our house, you know, that type of ordeal. The police, honestly, I mean, I hate to be another person, but they did an awful job with this. 
any evidence that they could have gotten they completely messed up by not clearing everyone out of the house but even if they did there would be so many evidence because of how many people were tracked through that house the day before i do want to talk about john benet and this is where it gets a little dark because she was found with a groat, I think is how you pronounce it, around her neck. This is really hard to explain. It is like a rope that is on a stick. In this case, they use a like broken paintbrush. And it's a device that they use that they could wrap around her neck. And a certain way that you hold it um, tightens it to potentially strangle her or keep her in place. Um, this was used on her. She had a fracture to her head, so something hard hit her in her head. And if you actually look at her autopsy, she did have a lot of abrasions around her body, like even on her legs, on her lower back, different places like that. And there was signs of sexual abuse as well. From everything that I have seen and heard of on this case, and never mentions like full on rape, but more so of her being molested in some ways, which I will get into. It's horrific, but we will get there. Another odd thing with John Bonet was the fact that she had. I know for a fact she had a mark on her neck and then from some reports some say that she also had another one like on her back or something from what they think to be a stun gun to maybe use on her to keep her quiet to get her out of her bed and down to the basement to where they were going to leave. So hypothetically if it was an intruder they would have went up to her room once her parents were in bed and used the stun gun, taken her downstairs and then I don't know if at this point she was alert and fighting. Maybe she was still kind of just done by the stun gun. Nobody's ever going to know this besides who did this. Um, at that point, the intruder would have had to um, put this groat on her. Maybe she, they pushed her down and she hit her head on something. There wasn't really anything found in that particular room that they thought could have done it, I don't believe. Um, I, other places of the house, like a flashlight setting on the counter in the kitchen, one of those heavy-duty metal ones was found. So that was kind of thought as the weapon. And I talked about the sexual abuse. Apparently it was done with the paintbrush that was used for the garrote. It is so horrific to even talk about. I hate those parts of these cases. I love the trying to figure out the case and the process that people do to figure out who did this to them and that's why this case is so sad because it's never came to an end. She had DNA left on her under her fingernails and in her underwear. I don't know if this intruder maybe just got carried away with her. I, I, I don't know. It, it's just a sick twisted individual and then thought oh shit you know she's dead so now I'm just going to escape maybe just left there, didn't run back for the ransom note, maybe to buy some time to hit the road and hide. Who knows? Now I'm going to kind of go over the other theory that someone in the family did it. This is really hard to think about, but I feel like a lot of people say that and they're really like more on the intruder theory 
because they're like, how could they do this to their daughter? Or how could anybody do this to their family member? And honestly, I feel like if you're truly in the true crime community and you have listened to so many stories, by now you're thinking, it happens. People are messed up and almost every other story is about a family member doing something else to another family member. It happens. There's just sick people out here. So I, for one, am not throwing it out the window saying, how could they do that to their daughter? They didn't do it because it does happen. It's horrific again, but it does happen. This time around, I'm going to give a little bit more details that I didn't before. So with this theory, there is a lot of different theories around this. Some people say that Patsy did it. They said that John Bonet was going through bedwetting and it was really making Patsy mad. So maybe she was tired and came to her room and just got really aggressive with her. Maybe like threw her to the side or, you know, did something and maybe um, John Bonet had hit her head and then maybe they staged the rest of it to make it look like it wasn't child abuse which could have happened. It could have. I mean, I'm not going to say it didn't because like I said, people are capable of a lot. I, for one, think that that theory is a little strange. I feel like if it was just over bedwetting, their child wouldn't have been molested. That's my opinion. Um, other people say that John did it because um, he had been maybe sexually abusing his daughter for some time now and um, maybe got carried away. What people have said, this is really hard for me to understand too, because I feel like somebody that wealthy, someone doing that good in their career, the best year yet, and everything going so nicely, not just that, like on Christmas, really. Again, not saying that it didn't happen because like I said, people are capable of everything. But that theory is still a little hard for me. I feel like there's a lot of holes in that theory. I feel like there's a lot of holes in that theory over intruder. But the one that really gets me is what if Burke had something to do with this? And I feel like this is one of the top theories of most people. And it's really hard to think about because Burke was just a nine-year-old boy at the time. But the thing that I didn't mention before is the fact that when her autopsy was done, she had undigested pineapple in her stomach. And you kind of scratch your head and wonder like, if John carried her to bed and when as soon as they got home and then Burke had a snack after that, how did John Bonet have pineapple in her stomach? It's kind of strange. You know, then you think, okay, maybe she wet the bed, Patsy got it during the night, but Patsy never said that. She never reported that that happened. So what some people speculate is that John Bonet had woke up after John and Patsy had went to bed and came downstairs to see Burke eating pineapple and then wanted some. Maybe he said no, she grabbed some out of his bowl, and he hit her over the head with a flashlight. And then took her downstairs, and was a very curious nine-year-old boy. Maybe he did some things then. A lot of people then want to bring up the stun gun, and that is where there's actually a documentary. It might have been CBS, I can't remember for sure, but they actually did some forensic work over their playroom which again was a room by the wine cellar and they had one of those train tracks back from the 90s and if you take those tracks apart there's some ends and the ends are like a little pointy like they were back then they actually matched up the same exact mark as a stun gun so that's also a theory that maybe he didn't hit her head 
upstairs. Maybe she had stolen some pineapple and ran downstairs because then you think, how could a nine-year-old carry his six-year-old sister downstairs? Which I feel like could happen. It could have happened. But maybe she ran downstairs and he chased her and pushed her. Maybe she hit her neck and even back on those tracks and even her head on an even harder toy. From there, it's hard to say if a nine-year-old boy would have been capable of sexual abuse or anything like that. I know that it's happened, but I don't know if I could really say that it did happen in this case unless it was just out of pure curiosity. I don't know. Maybe just seeing his sister just lay there. I don't know. I would think that maybe he would just freak out and feel like, oh my god, you know, and just kind of run off to bed and just kind of be like, I don't really know what to do and go to bed. Again, this is theories. From there, this theory states that at 5.30, Patsy did get up and maybe she did walk to John Bonet's bedroom and see that she was not there and freaked out and ran around looking for her. And if she's not in her bedroom and she's not in the main part of the house, where would you look? I would think the playroom. So if she went downstairs and found her daughter and yelled for John and he ran down there, at that moment, thinking that their daughter is dead, there is the theory that maybe they wanted to cover it up so that their son would be okay and that he wouldn't get the blame for an accident. So a lot of people from here want to speculate that, again, about the sexual abuse, about that type of ordeal. There was actually a whole test done on the family members being put to write parts of the ransom note. And all of them passed this test besides Patsy Ramsey. She was not ruled out. There was also different wording in it that she had actually used in a Christmas card to somebody. And another thing that I did not mention about Patsy is that she actually did do some grad schooling for literature. To go along with this theory, there's also the fact that, again, we bring up the sexual abuse and it's been said that maybe John had been partaking in that with his daughter and because of that maybe he had messed with her the night before when he did tuck her into bed and was freaked out knowing that law enforcement were going to get involved so he had to really make it look like something bad had happened to her and maybe he thought it'd be easy to do that and then just and then just tell Patsy like I had to do it to make it look more like her family could never do this to her which again I don't think is impossible. Since Patsy's handwriting was never ruled out, maybe she did make this letter and maybe she was so flustered and so upset that she did write it three times. What is odd about this is that apparently one of the times or something from it had been out of the house, like it was no longer there. Also, I did forget to mention that JonBenet's hands were bound and her mouth was covered in duct tape and the duct tape was never found in the house either, which goes to think that it was an intruder. But couldn't have also been Patty writing that note while John was messing with the scene and making it look like that had happened. It would also explain why it didn't really match up. Like here's somebody, maybe Patsy thought John was gonna take the body off somewhere so she was going to make it look like a ransom and like, you know, we want money and all this type of thing. There was the coincidence that the money that was asked for was around the same amount 
not the exact amount, but definitely around the same amount as John's Christmas bonus that year. I want to throw it in because a lot of people do press hard on that fact. Maybe John had another whole idea about what they were going to do and just decided to leave it at the house so it was all done there. Or maybe they had plans of just covering her up, leaving her at that and trying to get people on some like wild goose chase while they did something else with the body. Who knows what they were thinking at this point. It's all so like jumbled up that it would kind of make you think maybe it was them because they would have been so messed up during that time whether or not it's their daughter so you know that they would be just a mess. This would also explain why Patsy got up at 5.30 but didn't call 911 till 5.52. It was probably staged and rushed really fast so that she could hurry up and call as soon as possible and that's why it took them a little while. So back to that 911 call, at that time she was frantic. You guys heard it. But what I didn't mention was when that clip ended, that was it. Patsy hung up the phone. She didn't stay on the line. The lady obviously was saying, Patsy, Patsy, and was trying to ask her questions. Maybe Patsy was just like, you know, back to the intruder theory. Maybe she was just like, I can't take this, just get here, and had to put the phone down. But back to the theory of it being the family, what Patsy didn't know is that she actually didn't hang up the receiver, and there's actually voices in the background and the 911 operator didn't hang up the phone. She and the documentary I was talking about earlier did come forward and talk to them about it and she said something like she heard them say that it was them or something crazy like that. I don't know it word for word. I can't remember off the top of my head but even I was just kind of like they would have gotten that. Like, they got some background voices, but they would have caught that if she really was saying that about actually committing the crime. But what you can hear after they analyzed this and slowed it down and turned up the volume on it and did all kinds of work with this um, 911 call, you can actually hear that it's three different voices in the room. And at the time, there was only supposed to be four people in that house. Well, really, the three. John, Patsy, and Burke. So you can hear a man voice, and I can't say that this is exactly what is said, but this is what these people who analyze this think that the track says from listening to it through their headphones. They think that the man says, we are not speaking to you, in a very stern voice, almost like he's talking to a child. And then you hear a woman say, Oh, Jesus, what did you do? And then you hear a little voice say from like a kid saying, what did you find? And that is all that they could really work with. But it makes you think that there was this conversation going on in this bedroom and Burke had finally came in and they're like, now we're confronting him on what happened. Because obviously if they did do this, then they knew that something bad had happened to her and that he was the only other one in the house. So it had to have happened when they went to bed the night before. I'm sure a lot of it was covering their butts too if they did do this to make it look like it wasn't child neglect or anything like that by not watching their children too. There's also the fact that they invited their friends over. They let everybody just kind of walk around freely. They didn't like say, hey, 
we're gonna go to our friend's house so that you guys can take care of business here. If you wanna send an officer down here to talk to us, then do that so that you can, you know, close this off for any evidence you can get. Like, you think that they'd be freaking out, like, my daughter's gone, you know? Not like just sitting around the house all day. I would lose my mind. I wouldn't be able to just sit in a house and just wait around for these cops to figure out what to do. Like, I would go insane. And not even like searching the whole house already is just a little strange. But when the time came for the co cop to say, let's all do the search, it is strange that John ran straight for the basement. And maybe he was thinking bottom to top, let's do it that way so that, you know, we can make sure we get every single, you know, part of the house. His friend said that her body was completely covered. How did he know that John Bonet was underneath there? Because he automatically freaked out and ran to her and scooped her up ran upstairs with her. Another reason, why would he move the body? Why wouldn't he yell and say, she's down here, you know, and just leave her there so that they could get any evidence? This is hard for me to go with because I know, and I don't even want to think about it being my own kid, but you have to think, you don't know what you're going to do in that situation. But it did mess up a lot. And if he, in fact, did tamper with it, the DNA that was found underneath her fingernails and in her underwear, they did do DNA tests on Patsy, John, and the two older siblings. Now, I have seen that it says that there was DNA on five, so I'm assuming Burke was one of those. But I do think it's strange that it's not really talked about a whole lot, that Burke was tested. And I feel like if I knew 100% sure that he was, I feel like it would clear it up a little bit better for me. If they in fact all were, which I have seen somewhere that it did say five, so that would make sense, then it kind of leans towards an intruder because it's like, where would that DNA come from? Unless she was, you know, messed with at a party or something like that that they had went to, but, or maybe during the day when everything was going on, but I feel like everybody would have had a closer eye on her than that. So that is very strange. Another um, place that I have read about this had said there was a door somewhere that was like a jar open, but I haven't really seen a lot of things about that. I've just heard about the window being tampered with, but from the inside. So that would honestly make me think if it was the intruder theory, then the intruder maybe left a door unlocked or something and came in while they were at the party or the dinner and then messed with the window for his escape maybe. Or maybe freaked out after he had killed JonBenet. Maybe that wasn't even the plan. Maybe he freaked out that he did kill her and then just escaped out the window like I said earlier. I feel like I went over every single theory I can think of. My head hurts right now. This episode was definitely all over the place. I knew it was gonna be this case is extremely long and just so drawn out and so jumbled up it just it literally hurts my head thinking about every single thing and how it could literally be several different theories of what could happen i do want to state that there was men that came forward and said they did it but they were all ruled out by dna test um the ramses did take a polygraph test they, I mean, went through interviews. Their lawyers told them to decline interviews for a while. Then they started to reach out to like news outlets, which made them look so bad because they posted all these videos of her being this pageant girl. And a lot of the time they just looked a little stone cold and just 
you know, just stating we did not kill our daughter and not really like the emotions you think that you would see from parents like that, which has been stated that Patsy especially was on um, some medication at the time like antidepressants and that type of ordeal. What a lot of people didn't know either, which I've seen on something is at that time, Patsy was already dealing with some cancer and she eventually went into remission after all of this, but that might have caused some of um, the way she was acting and stuff like that too, with just dealing with a lot. And obviously losing your daughter, that has to be so awful regardless of what had happened, but it still just leaves us all thinking what happened to John Bonet and uh, I wish that I could close this up better than this. I wish that there was something to really say. I do feel like I'm leaving stuff out and there's just a lot more to it. This happened in 96, so 23 years ago. That's insane. I've come forward, I believe it was 2006 when Patsy um, had ovarian cancer once again, and that time she lost her battle. She did come out with a book talking about it and everything that happened to their life during that time. Um, Burke and John have both came forward for interviews since talking about it. Burke tried to like clear his name, and I kind of agree with everybody. It, it was very strange to me. I hated watching the interview with Dr. Phil. I hated it. It was very cringeworthy. He smiled a lot. A lot of people want to just say it's because of his nerves. It's because of a certain thing. Like, you know, he just felt really awkward talking about it. So it kind of made him smile. I understand it. When I get through really stressful times and I'm around a lot of people, especially, sometimes I just have to laugh. I just have to let it out and just like move on. So I don't know if it was that type of ordeal. Regardless, it was definitely very cringeworthy and hard to watch. Talking about his dead sister while smiling. Um, Burke was very young at the time, but I feel like even being nine, you would have that connection enough to scar you, um, especially if you had something to do with it. So that could be even why he may deal with some issues. He was very sheltered after that, obviously, and there's really not too much to say on this. I mean, that is pretty much it. If you have another theory, please let me know, and I can even add it to the blog post. Um, or anything that you know of that I left out. I really tried to rack my brain and remember everything on this case um, from the pineapple to the train track that I feel like is left out a lot. But you can kind of see how certain things debunk certain things and how nothing really adds up. Like it doesn't add up completely that it was an intruder. It doesn't really add up completely that it was in the family. And it's just so hard to think of what it really could have been. There was another man who down the line, they, I mean, it, it's a whole ordeal. I don't even want to get into all of it. There was another guy who um, apparently that night that it happened to John Binet, he had called his friend and was crying and said, I hurt a little girl. And he was a predator that lived right down the road, apparently. And they finally found him like years later I want to say it was like even in a different country maybe, maybe off on that, but I want to say he was somewhere else and they located him and brought him in and after doing like tons of these tests and DNA tests, maybe even a polygraph test, he was ruled out as not being somebody either. So it's hard and it almost makes me wonder back then, like what if like 
one of the DNA tests like didn't go through right? What if somebody mixed something up or, you know, I really wish that since it was such a sought out case, I really wish that DNA tests could have been done again on everybody before they just completely turn the case cold. That is it for this episode. I'm going to leave it here because I'm sure this episode's going to be a long one like my first one, but I wanted to get this one out because I've seen so many on John Bonet. I just I didn't want to put it off for too much longer. I knew it was going to be uh a hard one to tackle through without being super confusing, which I probably was, but I still hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys have been stuck on this case ever since like me, let me know. You can even direct message me on Instagram at Caffeine Crime Podcast. Make sure you follow me there so you can follow along with episodes. And I also have my link in my bio there that shows all of my extra stuff, like my blog and all that kind of thing, where you guys will find my blog post on JonBenet. Um, but yeah, if you have anything to add, I would love to go over it and maybe even add it to my blog. And yeah, I hope I didn't really miss anything too important, but if I did, like I said, it will be there. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Go over to at Caffeine Crime Podcast on Instagram and comment below the episode picture on what theory you think. Let me know. I would love to discuss this one more. This is definitely like such a debatable one. It's a good one to debate though on the different theories and I feel like everybody has something else to throw at the other person to debunk each one of their theories. And that's why it's so hard and that's why it's still a cold case, unfortunately. But yeah, thank you guys so much for watching this. If you guys did, I really, really appreciate the support and I hope you guys enjoy and stay tuned. Next Tuesday, I'll be back with episode four. So if you guys seen in my Insta stories, the, well, it was like last week, I posted about this episode and how all throughout it, I do want to apologize for how fuzzy it is. This has happened in the past, but it was due to my mic being not plugged in all the way. But that wasn't the case today. I literally filmed this makeup look beforehand and then went into this case right after that. And I wasn't having any mic issues until I started this episode. But while editing, certain parts really like stuck out to me. I was kind of freaked out a little bit at what was like catching on the mic. I slowed down a piece and turned it up a little bit. So I wanted to show it with you guys. I was pretty freaked out. I was up by myself at about 4 o'clock in the morning editing this. So um, I was a little spooked. It just sounds a little bit like an interference. And um, like I said, this hasn't really happened unless my mic was unplugged but there was nothing like that going on here and I have sat down and filmed these in the same spot before so I don't know what could have been causing it but I don't know it was a little spooky so I thought I would at least share it with you guys.